He's been faithful to us, hasn't he? Philippians chapter 4 is where we read the scripture today. I love the book of Philippians. What do you know about the book of Philippians? I had the chance this week to talk to our staff a little bit about that. Uh, the book of Philippians is one of the books of the 66 books of our Bible. The Bible is one book with 66 books inside of it. The first 39 books, books were written before Jesus came. The last 27 were written after Jesus goes back to heaven. The book of Philippians is in the middle of that second group, the New Testament. It's one of the, we call them prison epistles. The author, humanly speaking, was the Apostle Paul. We believe that all scripture was written by the inspiration of God. Uh, it was written, God, it's God's Bible, it's God's word, it's his words, it's his truth, and it's infallible, it's uh, nothing inerrant, it came from him, and nothing is wrong with it. But God did use human instruments, much like if I wrote you a letter, uh, you, would get, uh, you would get it not from my fingernail, but from a pen. <laughs> uh, it would use an instrument to put the ink on the page, but it would, I would move it to what I wanted to say. Much in the same way, the Bible says the word of God did not come in old time by the will of man, but holy men, that means men who belong to God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's how we got our Bible, and I'm glad we have a Bible, aren't you? Well, the book of Philippians is just four chapters. Nineteen times the word joy or rejoice or rejoicing is found in this book. But the guy who wrote it at the time was in a hired house on, on house arrest. He had a Roman soldier sitting with him 24 hours a day, and he was able to receive friends. His name was the Apostle Paul. He had just survived a shipwreck with 275 other people and uh, had been delivered over to uh, Caesar. But the, the, the guy who was overseeing him, Julius, the centurion, worked it out where the other prisoners went into the prison guard house and the, and the jailhouse of Caesar, probably the Mamantine prison, and he was able to hire a house and rent a home and receive friends, but had 24-hour guards that, that took care of him and made sure that he was secure and did not leave. During that time, he wrote several books of the Bible, but he wrote the book of Philippians during that time. He got a knock at his door one day, possibly, and a visitor came, and his name was Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a convert of the church at Philippi. Many years before, Paul had gone to that city, had spent some time there. He led a group of ladies to Christ down by the river on a Sabbath day who were there praying but then he told them about Jesus, and they accepted Christ. One of those girls, his name was Lydia. She was a seller of purple. She was from Thyatira, and she was doing business in Philippi. And her and her girlfriends were all there, and then their husbands, some of their husbands got saved. Lydia's husband probably accepted the Lord. There was a demon-possessed damsel that was following them around and aggravating the work of the Lord. And after many days, Paul uh, removed, uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit, removed the demon from the girl. She was happy, but the people who were prostituting her gifts were angry, and they stirred up a whole mess. Uh, they took them down to downtown to City Hall, and the police got involved, and before they know it, they were pulling their jackets and their shirts off and beating them publicly in the town square. 
accusing them falsely of things. They had done nothing but removed a demon from a girl, and because of that, they said, they're, they're messing up our whole city. Actually, it was just messing with their pocketbook, <laughs> uh, messing with their wallet, messing with their income, and that's why they began to give them a hard time. Well, after they were beaten, they took them down into the, to the jailer, and the jailer thought he was, he was going to be dealing with uh, some real hardened criminals, put them into the inner prison, put them in not only in handcuffs, but in foot cuffs, into stocks, and left them in the inner prison. But he realized real quickly he wasn't dealing with hardened criminals, he was dealing with spiritual people. That even in the darkest days and the most difficult times, they were singing songs of praise to the Lord. They were having the midnight songs, and they sang, and God sent an earthquake, opened the jail. The man thought he was going to get uh, killed the next morning if all these guys left, and they told him, we haven't left yet. We're all here. Don't kill yourself. And he took in a light and took them out of the jail. When he got them out, he said, sirs, what do I need to do to have eternal life? How can I be saved? He didn't tell them to get baptized, didn't tell them to join the church, didn't tell them to live a good life or stop doing wrong things or stop cussing. He said, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you could be saved. And he said, I think I'll do that. He got saved and he took them to his family's house in the middle of the night and woke them up and they first began to wash their wounds from the beating they had taken. And then he commenced to tell them, I want you to tell my family what you just told me. And he led, they led their family to Christ. And from that little group of people, they had been faithfully, they thought to themselves, you know, Apostle Paul is good at making tents. That was his occupation. He was a tent maker. And, uh, but he said, he's good at making tents, but you know, he's better, at, he's better at giving the gospel. So why don't we work every day and we'll take extra money on Sunday and on the first day of the week we'll put it together and we'll find out where he is and we'll send it to him. So throughout his ministry, they kept supporting Apostle Paul as their missionary. That's kind of why we take an offering today and we'll do the same thing except we'll not do it just for one Apostle Paul, we'll do it to over 300 of them. And we'll send it out. The one you saw today is a person that we get to support. Yesterday, I met with the deacons, and we gave away some extra money, and not gave away, but invested extra money in CRI and to other places that we wanted to make more of an investment from the extra money that you gave in the missions offering. Well, they would do that. He had to leave really abruptly, and so he went down to Thessalonica. He was just there for maybe three weeks, and that three weeks' time, two times, they sent him a care package and financial support from that little church in Philippi that new group of believers. But now years have gone by, and Epaphroditus, one of those members, he might have been the jailer, he might have been the new pastor, he might have been Lydia's husband. We don't know who he is, but Epaphroditus has in hand another care package. He has probably some snacks and some blankets and some things that they had made, and then he has some money. And he's trying to find the Apostle Paul, and he finds him in Rome at this house. And I can just see him knock on the door and and a soldier comes out and says, what do you want? He said, I'm looking for a guy named Paul. You know where he's at? Yeah, he's in here. And, he, and maybe Paul says, hey, soldier boy, <laughs> that sounds like Epaphroditus. Let him come in. And Epaphroditus comes in from the church of Philippi. And I'm sure Paul was excited to hear of all the things that were going on. 
And he told them about his, their faithfulness. He had told them about some of the challenges that were going on in the church. He told them about the different people that had come and gone, the people who got saved, and the good things that were happening in the church at Philippi. And then he said, hey, Paul, we've got a new gift for you. I'm sure Paul said, man, that's good because rent's due next month. I'm going to probably need that, or this will help me with this, or I'll be able to get some more paper and some more ink to write some more letters, and probably later on he would write the book of Colossians, or he'd write the book of 1 Timothy with the extra money that he received there. But as he comes through the book of Philippians, it's just a four-chapter book. He talks in chapter 1, the joy of going through difficult times with the Lord's help, the joy of suffering. You know, joy, happiness is not easy in suffering, but joy is a reality. I think I have talked to people who are suffering who have had joy. They have it, and it's a supernatural gift. So you can have joy in suffering. You can have joy while you serve the Lord. That's chapter two. Chapter three is you can have joy when you concentrate and focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Chapter four speaks about having joy when you learn to take what God's given you and share it with others in sharing. Joy in suffering, joy in service, joy in the Savior, and joy in giving or sharing with what God's given us. But chapter 4, before it gets into sharing, I think Apostle Paul very strategically helps the people of God as they are um, being attacked by Satan. See, when you get saved... You get instantly eternal salvation. God gives you eternity with him. It's guaranteed. It's not something you have to wonder about. It's God, it's awareness that God is guaranteed. Once you're saved, you'll always be saved. But once you get saved, the devil doesn't fall asleep in your life. He is a, as someone asked me this morning, Pastor, when you get saved, does the devil kind of turn up the heat on you? And the truth of the matter is that yes. The devil is a master at infant fatality. When people first get saved, the devil really wants to work on them because he wants to kill the baby. He wants to get the baby from going to church, keep the baby from reading the Bible, keep the baby from getting around, keep someone that's, that's listening to the devil that, that can be a bad testimony to them or give them, a, give them a bad example, hurt their feelings, so forth and so on. The devil works overboard there. But he has several tools Several things, strategies that he likes to do in your life and my life. Are we listening up here in the balcony? There are several things that Satan, you may not need this message today, but you might gonna, you're going to need this one day. The Bible tells us that I think, number one, Satan's favorite tool is doubt. He wants to sow in your mind doubt against God. You might remember when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water. The Bible says the Shekinah glory of God came upon him. And it was obvious as like a bird flew out of a tree and landed on his head. It was that obvious. Something just happened to Jesus. After that, he heard everyone on that Jordanian, uh, that Jordan River bank heard this in their ears. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The next time you hear Satan open his mouth to Jesus, he said this, If thou be the... God says, you're my son. Satan says, if you really are his son. What do you sense there? Doubt. 
When Satan opened his mouth in the Bible the very first time, he said to Eve, Yea, hath God said, you're not going to die. God knows in the moment that you eat this fruit that you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. What is that? It's a mouthful of doubt. God calls it uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, you better put up the shield of faith to block the fiery darts. I think those fiery darts are thoughts that come into your head that make you think negative about God or what he said. God said, this is a promise. He has promised us even eternal life. He said, in the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God tells us, if you're saved, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says in John chapter 10, I give unto you eternal life and you shall never perish. How many have wondered sometimes if you're really saved after you have been saved? Well, God just told us, once we're saved, we're saved. But the devil loves to shoot those fiery darts over the wall of your mind. Not to burn a hole in the carpet of your mind, but set your whole head on fire with doubt against God. If the devil can't get us with doubt, he'll get us with division. He'll get you and I cattywampus with one another. He'll get someone to hurt your feelings or you to hurt someone else's feelings. He'll get someone to borrow money from you and not pay it back. Quickest way to lose a friend is to loan them money. <laughs> and they, don't, they never come back. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way. Get someone to hurt you in the nursery and say something about your baby or about how you're taking care of your baby, and all of a sudden, division takes place. Someone posts something on Facebook or something in a social media that hurts your feelings. You didn't think they felt that way, and they said that, and it puts your business out there, and now all of a sudden, you're upset with them, and they're upset with you. The devil is a master of division. He, what the Old Testament says, God hates it. It's an abomination when... When his people sow discord among the brethren. When you stir it up. By the way, if you're easily offended, knock it off. Have the hide of rhinoceros and the heart of a child. Decide, you know, I am not going to be offended. The Bible says, great peace have they which love thy. You get a real relationship with the Bible and you're not easily be offended. Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Boy, you get a dead person in a, in a coffin, you can't offend them. You can call them names, joke at them, laugh at them, tell them they're sorry and their mother wear combat boots or something like that. They don't even get offended. You know why? They're dead. You know how you'll not get offended? If you'll just die to your own feelings, your own thinking, your own desires, and you'll, you'll, you'll be alive to Christ. When life, all that matters is Jesus, then we, can be, we don't get it quickly offended. When we love the word of God, we'll love Jesus, and we're not going to be quickly offended. We'll die to our own feelings about stuff. Boy, the devil loves to sow seeds of doubt and seeds of division. Some of you right now, you're in this room, and you look good, and you're nice, and you're wonderful people, but you're fired up with someone else in this room. Matter of fact, you sit on this side so you don't have to see the other person on the other side. 
Some of you, you know where everybody sits, and so you just sit somewhere where you can't have to, don't have to look at them. Because how they scratch their head gets on your nerves. How they walk <laughs> just gets upset with you. Well, you're normal, but it's not right. We're playing into the devil's hand for doubt, for division. And if he can't get you with doubt and division, he'll get you with discouragement. Get you, he'll just get you feeling blue. He'll just get you frustrated, you know, Kids aren't doing right, or my marriage isn't as fuzzy-wuzzy it used to be, or, you know, just things aren't going good for me. Even this morning, I can tell in our midst, when we think about Roger Mullinex and Brother Ed Tutton and Carolyn Reynolds and Mrs. Marguerite Gallagher, who passed away, and Josephine Espinoza and other sweet people that we have. I looked over the list of people who passed away last year in our church, and boy, we've lost some great saints of God. By the way, for the rest of us, we need to step up. It's our turn. Brother, Brother uh, Roger was a great bus captain. We need some more bus captains. Brother Ed Tutton was a great writer and a missions heart, and he was very deep into the scriptures and loved people, was a vibrant soul. And we need other people to step up and say, you know what, I, I need to do that too. And if you know what they know now, you'll want to do that. But it makes you feel blue whenever you find out, man, that's just tough. Brother Roger, we went into Israel together last year. Now he's with the God of Israel. We remember him. We remember he and Brother Tutton. I remember sitting with him many times and saw them last time out at the college where they were getting some work done. Brother Jerry Azwari was working on their RV and just prayed with them and talked about people they led to Christ and have talked to them many times over the phone. But next time I talk to them, we'll be in the presence of the Lord. But sometimes it makes you feel a little bit low whenever you feel like, man, everybody's leaving. We got this person sick, and that may mean they may be leaving. It makes you feel discouraged. Well, God has a plan for each of those problems. And he lays it out, I think, beautifully in the scriptures here. Let's go quickly. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 1. Read it with me, if you would, please, everybody. If there be therefore, I'm sorry, that's chapter 2. Let's try 4. How about that? Chapter 4, verse number 1. Therefore, my brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Hey, what can we do when doubt is overwhelming us? What can we do? In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, number one, when doubt is the problem, stand fast in the church. Is that what it said? Stand fast in your own emotional stability. Is that what it said? Stand fast in the Lord. Listen, friends, I don't, I've never worked at a bank. We've got a couple bank managers who are here this morning. I'm sure they have seen their share of counterfeit bills. And I don't know if I would recognize a counterfeit bill, but bankers do. You know why? Because they see the real thing enough to know when it's a counterfeit. They count thousands and thousands of dollars of the bills on a regular basis. So when a counterfeit comes, they say, oh, no, no, that doesn't feel the same. That doesn't look good. That doesn't feel the same. You know how they know a counterfeit? Because they know the real thing. You know how you know instant mashed potatoes? when you've had real mashed potatoes. God needs to help Teebles about that. You pray for them about that situation. 
You know how you can, uh, you, can, uh, you can know something is fake? You know the real. You know how you can overcome doubt? By faith. Faith in the Lord. He says to them, my dear, first of all, know that you're loved. My dearly beloved and long for, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. When you know you're loved by the Lord and you're loved by God's people, and then you'll stand fast in the Lord, you'll overcome doubt. Now, all of us have doubt, every one of us. Pastor, you got doubt? Oh, yeah. Do you have fiery darts come in your mind? Oh, yeah. Sometimes they're when I'm in my office. Sometimes they're when I'm driving down the road. Have you ever heard things like, you know, God doesn't really care about you. He'll help other people. He's not going to help you. Do you believe the right thing? Are you, even, are you in the right religion anyway? Is everyone who doesn't believe the Bible, are they really going to hell? Are you just kind of sucked up in something that's not true? Your family says you're in a cult. Maybe I am in a cult. You ever hear those thoughts in your mind? If you have, it's normal. That's why the Bible tells us that even John the Baptist, when he doubted Jesus was the Messiah, he spent his whole life preparing people for Jesus, and he says, he sent some guys to go tell Jesus, are you really the Messiah? We look for another. Jesus didn't get angry and say, what? You big clown, you baptized me. You heard my father speak from heaven. You spent your whole life preparing me, others for me, and now you're telling, you told everybody I'm the Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world. Now you're asking me if I'm the Messiah? He didn't do that. He simply just said, go tell John. The deaf hear, the blind see, the crippled walk, the dead are raised back to life, and the gospel is preached to the poor. And the words of Jesus was all John needed to say, oh, I knew it. Oh, boy. Then the disciples probably started saying, you know, I can't believe he would ask that. That is terrible. John the Baptist asking if he's a Messiah. And Jesus shut him up with these words. There's never a better man born of woman than John. He's the best of the best. So if the best of the best can have a problem with doubt, guess who else can? I can. You can. And what do we do with our doubt? We get back to the words of Jesus. The Bible tells us that faith cometh by Hearing by word of God. And how do we know how God feels about things? We get to the scriptures. Stand fast in the Lord. That's how we deal with doubt. The second thing is division. Look, if you would please, at verse number two. If Satan can't get you with doubt, he'll get you cattywampus with someone. Get a bitterness in your heart towards somebody. You find to create a reason why you should hold that person accountable. Look at verse number two. I beseech. Beseech you, Odeus, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the... There are two girls in the church. Epaphroditus no doubt told Paul. He said, oh, things are going pretty good. Now, you, Odeus and Syntyche, <laughs> they're not doing good. Because she is really fired up with her and her. You, Odeus is fired up with Syntyche. They're upset with each other. And he takes the time to write in his letter back to them. He calls them out in the middle of church. I don't know who was reading this to everybody, but I'm sure those girls turned red real fast. He said, you odious? You're sitting on this side of the room. Syntyche, get on the same page in the Lord. Why in the world do you want to spend your life bitter with each other? Why do you want to spend your life fighting? When you throw mud, you're just losing ground. Why in the world do you want to spend your life? And when love is thick, other people's faults are thin. 
When love is thin, other people's faults are thick. And boy, some of us, we got a, we got a telephone pole in our eye trying to find a toothpick in someone else's eye. And we spend our life bitter and angry and creating issues with other people. Well, you know how she is. You know how he is. I don't like that guy. We spend letters writing. We spend time, time texting and giving innuendos of how, how bad this person is. Or you know how they are. They're always a thief. They steal this. They do that. And you're wasting your time. The Bible says, listen, if you, got, if you fall prey to Satan's tool of doubt, stand fast in the Lord. If you've fallen prey to Satan's way of causing us division, some of you, you need to forgive your mom and dad. You think you're spiritual and you can't have a hard time with your mom and dad. Well, they hurt me. Join the club of Jesus. And no one has ever hurt me as bad as I've hurt Jesus. And he forgave me. So I have no right to hold anybody else at bay whenever I have been forgiven so much. Think if I only had one message to speak to Christian people and I was getting ready to die and I had a group of people, I think I'd have to preach on the topic of forgiveness. Because so many Christians are drinking liquid Drano hoping it hurts the people that hurt them. And they're just filled with bitterness. And when you forgive someone, you free immediately two people. The person that you forgive and your own heart. We've got this lie thinking that we can, we can hold someone else accountable. We can, we can not forgive. We can hold a grudge against someone, and we're really hurting them. We're really hurting ourselves. Paul says, listen, if you've got some doubt, stand fast in the Lord. If you've got some division, get on the same page. Be of the same mind in the Lord. And if you've got some discouragement, he says, Look at verse 3, would you please? Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. He's going to talk about, he's going to, excuse me, I'm, I'm skipping down here. Look at verse 3. He says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. You can find someone who's a real true yoke fellow. If they help, they help the women which labor with me in, in the gospel. With Clement also, another man in the church, also with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. He said, when you find that, Eight times in the Bible, the book of life is mentioned in the New Testament. That's the first time of eight times it will be mentioned. Verse number four, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. In closing this morning, if discouragement is your problem, you need, and I, I need to, and you need to rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in politics. Not rejoice in circumstances. Not rejoice in the news you just heard. You don't have to rejoice in all of that. But you can always rejoice in the Lord. And this is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. If you're not rejoicing in the Lord, that's on you. And if you choose to rejoice, you're going to find that discouragement will not stay. I don't think it's wrong to be discouraged. I think it's sure wrong to stay that way. Because when the devil comes to you with doubt, stand fast in the Lord. Go to the scriptures. Let the word of God come over you like a shower over you in the morning. And let the word of God sink deep and marinate into your heart and say, you know what? I am going to be okay. I've got God. I'm not going to let doubt overcome me. I'm not going to let some of you have fear. The Bible tells us that God has not given us the spirit of fear. I have fear sometimes. But I can tell you when I had that fear, it didn't come from the Lord. It is a spirit. It is real. It does attack you. It comes on your heart. 
But you don't have to live there. You have the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. If you're divided, get in the same mind in the Lord. Some of you might need to go to someone and say, you know what? We know there's friction. I'm sorry. I am not going to live my life with this feud. Would you have mercy on me? Would you forgive me? Some of you teenagers need to go to your mom and dad and say, mom and dad, forgive me. Some of us couples need to figure out some things between us. Say, you know, I'm going to be on the same mind in the Lord. And then I think lastly, if we're discouraged, we can rejoice in the Lord. Then let our moderation, our calmness be known at all to all men. Why? The Lord is in control. He's driving. Everything that's going on, you couldn't control that. You can't control the next breath you could take. You can't get your heart to beat one more time. Who's, who's death and life from the power of the tongue, but also the Lord. He gives life. He takes it away. He even tells us who he, he puts up one person as a government authority and puts down another. Well, in my vote, now, I'm all for voting. But the truth of the matter is, when it all comes out, uh, God's in charge. He's, in, he's at hand, and I can rejoice. So can you. May God help us. I think this would make better families. Tonight I'm going to speak about things we need to teach ourselves and our children, particularly out of Proverbs chapter 23. But today I want to encourage you, if, you're just, if you have doubt, stand fast in the Lord. If you're divided, get on the same page with the Lord. Be the same mind the Lord. If you're discouraged, stop thinking about your problem and rejoice in the Lord, knowing he's in control.